Welcome back to the Artsy Engineering Radio. We're coming to you with a second in a two-part interview series with Artsy's former Chief Technology Officer, Daniel Dubrovkin. You can check out part one in your favorite podcast app. Enjoy the episode. Hearing you kind of talk about being in the weeds in this way is making me sort of think about your decision to go and to move to AWS and become an individual contributor, which has always been really interesting to me. So I'd love to kind of shift gears and talk a little bit about um, your transition from being RCCTO to a principal engineer at AWS and what that experience has been like. I really uh, think ab- about moving between companies as, uh, as growth. So I looked for something to do after I decided to leave Artsy for all kinds of reasons. I mean, I spent eight years there. I was very, very happy. It was the best job I've ever had. I delivered an amazing product with an awesome team to millions of users and super proud of the work we've done and loved uh, loved it and still uh, think fondly of those types. But sometimes you need to pass the baton to people who are better than you. And I think uh, Sam... Uh, and uh, others who continued carrying artsy forward are just much better at things like making money and uh, growing your business. I mean, I was came from like startup world. What do I know? Uh, I had uh, two unsuccessful, semi-successful startups in the 90s. So uh, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like 20 years old. So, I mean, most of the money I made on uh, in, in the 90s on running a botnet, clicking on double-click ads, uh, that uh, running a free system on which people just didn't want to click on ads. So I helped it click on ads and then I got caught. That's how I made my money. Oh Not my a very ruthless <laughs> business. So, uh, so I, think, I think others needed to take over and bring something new and uh, continue growing this awesome company. So I was, I, was, I was done in that way. I thought I was probably not the best person to continue evolving Artsy as a business with you know, 300 employees and a multi-million dollar successful, uh, successful company. So I was looking for something where I would learn things. And in evaluating various offers and opportunities, uh, I ended up with really two choices that I liked. One was a CTO of a really large New York-based uh, startup, or not, no longer startup. I think it had 400 employees by that time. Uh, a really amazing product and a successful business. And AWS. And uh, the CTO job, when I looked at the technology of that company and the, the organization, the people, it was good, but it was no artsy. And I knew what to do there. I knew how to fix it. I knew how to evolve it. I knew how to grow it. I had already all the answers, and I was bringing the experience of artsy into something like that. And we looked at AWS. AWS doesn't need to take any lessons from me. It's a massively successful business, and it was kind of a black box, and I didn't know. I was wondering, how, did, how were they so successful? What did, the, what did AWS do to, uh, to be such a force? I, I was an AWS customer, uh, and it, it's a delivery machine that at the time looked incredible and, and is very much incredible. Like Everybody knows how fast it's growing. Uh, and I just wanted to know how it works, and I had the opportunity to work on AWS Data Exchange, which was not launched at the time. It ended up being launched in uh, late 2019, so six months after I joined. 
And uh, I, I had this rare chance of seeing how a new product, a new first level service is launched at AWS. And I learned so much during those first six months. I never regretted making the decision. I also joined a startup within a very large company. So it was go- kind of going back to square zero in a way and uh, starting to work on something that was, that was brand new, didn't even exist. So I didn't feel like I was going from a startup to a large company. I felt like I was going from a startup to a startup and, uh, and, and got a chance to sit in meetings with like Andy Jassy and uh, learn how business decisions are made. And uh, so that's, I, went, I went to AWS as an IC. It didn't really matter that much what, what I was doing as long as I could learn uh, from, the, uh, from people who know something that I don't. Yeah, and I do think I'm guessing that as you progress in your career, it's harder to find that, to find an environment where you're going to learn a ton. I think you can always progress in your career, but I don't think it as a career path in terms of uh, like titles and managerial growth. I think about it as, a, as an evolving learning experience. It's not like, oh, I want to be VP or I want to be CEO. Like I can be CEO tomorrow by starting a company. Uh, what I wanted to see is how a different, much larger and more successful business operates uh, and how technology is built for a business that is 100% technology. And, uh, and it delivered. So uh, that's why I went to AWS. And not just 100% technology, but like the leader in the world. Well, it, it, right. It is, it is literally the, the largest, biggest, I don't know, put all the adjectives you want, uh, cloud platform, cl- cloud solution out there. Like this, we have millions of customers and it's amazing. And uh, it's, it's, it, it has a scale unprecedented scale and it has uh it has a lot of experience so if if you, if i were to choose where to go between say a google a facebook uh a netflix or uh a microsoft today i would look at like this uncompressible experience that aws has in operating uh, a cloud environment uh aws is the earlier more experienced and uh more reliable and a more secure environment. It, it really, it, it is, it has, I think like something like seven years longer in operation. And this is something you can't just, uh, this is real experience. You really see how it runs. And uh, I wanted to learn from the best. So I want to work for the best. I know you've been working on a newer project at AWS, Open Search. You want to spend like a couple of minutes sort of sharing what that experience has been like? So AWS Data Exchange uh, is, uh, is a, is a first-class AWS service. It helps customers find, subscribe to data. It's a marketplace for data. And it's a, it's a really cool project. But it's not an open-source project. It doesn't have those aspects of, uh, of uh, openness that I always uh, looked for. So I've been itching and looking for something where, which would be more open but this time at a much, much larger scale. So the truth is, like, I co-maintain a ton of uh, open source projects out there, but th- none of them are really vast. They have maybe dozens, maybe hundreds of contributors, but it's not something that is uh, equivalent to like large Apache projects or anything with real governance. And so the opportunity to work on OpenSearch uh, came and I just jumped on it. Uh, two weeks ago, I joined the team. So OpenSearch is the uh, community-driven uh, fork of Elasticsearch and Kibana. And it is uh, 
it, it's a it's a sizable team now at AWS. We're learning how to work in the open. Uh, we're learning how to build software with a community. Uh, something that we are we're not necessarily that good at. And joining a team that is uh, that is so forward and uh, is really reevaluating and rethinking how to do open source at AWS scale, how to engage other contributors, maintainers. And then it's an amazing product. I mean, I've used Elasticsearch before. Artsy uses Elasticsearch. So the opportunity to work on something like that is, uh, is special. And I'm loving it. I've been there for two weeks. My GitHub is like dark green now uh, from, uh, from working uh, in the open. And uh, I'm just I'm learning from others who are long-time uh, contributors to the project and then a bunch of new folks that are building some really exciting tech that we can't wait to share with, with the world. It's all in the open. You can see it. That's amazing. I love the idea of you going from bringing open source uh, to such a core value at Artsy and so important for sort of how the engineering culture was built early on to now doing that at, you know, one of the biggest technology companies we have. It just makes so much sense to me. Is there anything uh, along the lines of your work at AWS or Artsy that you kind of wish that I had asked that you wanted to share more on? Uh, well, let me th- just on the subject of open source at AWS. AWS has been doing quite a bit of open source. Uh, it's not a company that goes and advertises it necessarily. It's not our style. Like our our goal is to uh, to deliver value to customers, and uh, we take that to the letter. We do what customers want and uh, build software that uh, is uh, is useful and that people want to use and pay for. So. Um, we just don't flash, oh, like open source this, open source that. But if you if you go and like look at AWS's contributions and open source projects, you'll actually find quite a, quite a few. Uh, and the policies of building open source uh, at uh, AWS are uh, some of the best ones, actually. And we encourage open source work when it benefits our customers and continue evolving and growing in that space. So, so I'm really happy. I, I wouldn't say I'm like creating something new at uh, Amazon in the sense that we've been doing open source for quite some time. Uh, now, we can always do better, and we will continue doing better, and I'll make sure to contribute as the best I can to, uh, to doing better. On questions of what haven't you asked me, I think we haven't talked enough about art. It's funny. And I, I yeah. do not believe you have not mentioned NFTs. Uh, yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask you what outside of your work that you're excited about and hoping that you'd get to NFTs because I had several of my teammates at Artsy say you have to ask DB about NFTs. So if you do have a few more minutes, I would love to hear what you're working on. I saw that you have an NFT, so. <laughs> it's, uh, so the, in 2018, uh, I gave a talk about the future of art at the Christie's Art and Tech Conference. I think I helped and you. With, I think I helped you craft that that's talk. Right. That's right. You you helped me build the slide deck, and uh, we really uh, we worked through the narrative there. And uh, yeah, I'm very awkward when it comes to communicating long term visions and things like that. And so I think most of the deck is you. Uh, I, I just contributed some of the technical knowledge to that, to be fair. So uh, that's the conference at which I basically said that the future is you know, possibly on the blockchain. This is a technology that's here to stay, all those things. But I didn't realize at the time uh, what it was going to do and how fast it was going to go. So I kind of looked at it from the side 
I was thinking, oh, Artsy has all these galleries. We have a good, um, we, we have we have very much part of the art world. So let's let's see how that whole thing pans out. And I think I was totally wrong. I think we should have started way earlier on that train. And I myself should have just opened the laptop and th- tried to make some of the stuff myself as a practicing artist. I should have tried it. So I finally really did it a couple of weeks ago. I sat down and I made some basic generative art. Is a month ago now, and uh, tried to turn it into uh, in, into an NFT. Uh, I, I inspired myself from the work by uh, some of my my friends, like Dmitry Chernyak, who made Ringers. He's been making digital art forever. I own some of his paper printed works from a long time ago. I always loved his work, but he, the digital and the NFT part of it. He's been doing it and NFT his works for a while without really, uh, without really expecting much. And then it just took off suddenly. Like his work right now sells for tens of thousands of dollars. It's amazing. And I think he, he's one of those genuine NFT artists or, or digital artists that really deserves to have the success that he's having today. And I always admired that. I looked up at it, but I've never tried to do it myself. So I gave it a shot. I made some works. I wrote some code. I put it on GitHub and then I turned some of the, uh, uh, some of the output into NFTs. So I made these uh, these drawings that I used to do by hand. I made them digitally and I made a series of 10 and I think eight out of 10 have sold wow. on, on so far. Uh, but the experience of doing it uh, was, was super exciting. It's actually quite hard. There's a lot of barriers and a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of uh, things in the way. Like, oh, you have to buy Ethereum, you have to transfer it. Like, you have no idea what you're doing. And so I'm thinking, like, what would it... I understand this technology quite well. What does a human in all of this do? Like, what if somebody who... Someone who's totally new, who doesn't have the... Yeah, like, you're, like, pretty experienced and you found it complicated to get off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And then then I try to go uh, towards a niche, uh, Hikanung, and that's even harder. That's on the like Tezos network. It's super niche right now. That's I'd say for an average human that is getting it's now close to impossible. Maybe not quite, but it's it's not obvious at all. And so as I struggled through this, I realized that that actually feels like when I started programming. In the nineties, I started programming uh, in x eighty six assembly, and nine nine out of ten people that I knew didn't have a computer, and people would look at me and be like, what, what the hell are you doing? Like, why, why, what is the computer stuff? What is this BBS that you're on? Uh, and what are you people doing? Oh, you're on IRC chatting with strangers on the other side of the world. Are you crazy? And you don't even know who's on the other side. And I remember being on an IRC channel called like hashtag Russian speaking to people in Russian in the United States, there's like 100 people on the channel. It was global, right? So this is all we had. Oh it's all the people that are... Uh, early, so, early social networking. <laughs> early social networking, exactly. I was like, I had an account on Friendster. Uh, I had a life journal for a very long time. Like all these things that before it became mainstream. And so making art digitally and turning it into NFTs that people can actually buy uh, felt like that. So I was wrong. I think this is very early in, uh, in, in, that, in that future. Something will come out of it. It's already, it just hit mainstream a tiny little bit. You it's think, like you think this years. is a tiny little bit? Yeah. And that, that's, that's exactly what I think it is. We are just in the beginning. I don't know what we're in the beginning of, 
but we're very, very far from what it will become. And uh, I don't think that that future lives uh, in the necessarily in the platforms that we have now, but I think we so far we've delivered on one percent of that future. Uh, it's still so hard to use and so hard to uh, to be in. Yeah. Do you think RC should be getting into NFTs? Yesterday, what I think I think Artsy should do, and I don't really talk to people making making those decisions. Uh, Artsy is genuinely a wonderful platform that cares about artists, cares about galleries, auction houses in a way that many others don't. It, it is a labor of love. It is a place which can continue being the art world online in whichever new ways uh, it takes. It is, it's not the artsy did not invent art online. Artnet was around for 20 years. Uh, artsy did create for the first time a, a marketplace which people just love using and that puts art front and center and gives it the, what, for, for what it is, the most important thing in the world. Art, I teach my children that art is the most important thing. You can get rid of everything, but never sell art. Never give away, uh, ne- never give up on the art. Like everything else can, doesn't matter, but art matters. And this is the thing that carries in my family generation to generation. So I hoard art, I collect it, I buy it, and I never, never sell anything and never let it, let it go. So since art is the most important thing, the platform online that uh, makes art feel like the most important thing is artsy. Uh, I just don't know of another one today. Uh, and uh, I think artsy uh, should help its uh, partners uh, get into the NFT world, uh, removing the user experience barriers that are currently out there and uh, doing the right thing in terms of technology. So ensuring, for example, that the images don't get lost if the platform goes away. Uh, so, you know, there's lots of debate. Oh, you bought what an NFT, you have a certificate, but like the contract uh, points to an artwork that's a JPEG on some website. And when the website disappears, well, here we go. You lost the actual art. So things like that, uh, Artsy can definitely do a good job at. And then it should just help people participate in this uh, in this new world uh, where digital certificates matter uh, in some in some new and innovative ways. Artsy has thousands of gallery partners and all these galleries are trying to figure out how do I do this? Uh, when these galleries were trying to figure out how do I go online, Artsy came along and said, well, voila, you can be online at Artsy. Like, you don't have to. It's not exclusive. You can still make websites. You can go to other platforms. Like, come to Artsy because you think it's the best place to be. That's where the collectors are. And um, Artsy can do that for NFTs as well. That's interesting. Should be doing it it two years ago when I could make those decisions. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I do feel like it's a, I I wonder if these were, these conversations were talked about even before this. Oh, they were talked about a lot. Uh, You remember the ICO craze? Yeah. Yeah, We talked about ICOs and and, uh, I think Carter uh, quickly decided that, okay, this is not about art. This is about money, and it seems a lot of it seems like a get rich fast scheme, and that's not who we are. So we're not going to be doing that in uh, in a hurry. We really need to be thoughtful about it. And uh, and then ICOs faded, and now we are we have NFTs, but NFTs are not going to fade. And I, I agree with you that it's NFTs seem a little bit more focused on the art 
and not as much on the money or the, you know, it's more rooted in like the, what's the point is the art. True. The NFT money conversations are very similar to how you talk about auction houses that sell Salvador Mundes for $450 million. So we are, we are definitely having a conversation of how NFTs are sold at auction houses for a ridiculous amount of money. And like the, but, but, but what's amazing I think is that the auction houses are coming to this as uh, as a as true art form. So digital artists and net artists have been around for a long time. Artsy has tons of net art on it. It just has never been sold in this in this mechanism of digital certificates that can be resold and there's a marketplace and so on and so forth. So uh, I really really enjoy looking at the auction house efforts to give uh, to to give the artists. Uh, the place that they deserve in this world. So I, the Philips is having an awesome project called Replicator uh, with uh, Crazy Dog Jones, I think is the artist's name. I love it. It's a perfect mix of the, um, it's a perfect mix of technology because there's something unique in that contract that replicates and grows in some kind of tree where branches will die off and you don't know what value your artwork has it's like true generative art using blockchain as a medium. Uh, it's perfect. And that's a, it's a wonderful project. And I think uh, it's a great uh, endorsement for whoever is putting that together of finding a true digital artist using the platform as it should be used and then putting it in front of art collectors. Uh, Christus is doing a CryptoPunks auction. Uh, I remember when crypto, I were being in like in a, in a basement talking about CryptoPunks with people. I don't own any, unfortunately. Because uh, I would have enjoyed having those in my collection. They're way too expensive now. I would never sell one of them. I think these things are unique and part of art history. Uh, there are, uh, there, uh, Sotheby's did an auction with Pac, uh, which is, who's a old time digital artist. And I think that's a really clever and well executed event. Uh, so the, the, the galleries, auction houses that are doing, they're now really embracing it. And putting in front of the audience, which is what they do in life. That's their their mission is to bring art to collectors, and then give it the right price, the right uh, uh, the the right uh, endorsement. And Chris is to, uh, is uh, you know when I spoke at that conference, I don't know if you remember, but um, there were there was some digital art uh, that was given away. There was uh, artist Robbie Barrett. That uh, tokenized in a, an early AI work. I don't know if you remember. There was an I don't AI remember. Work. This was uh, so they they gave it to people as like a party favor. Yeah, it was a little card in your uh, goodie bag, and uh, that card was uh, keys to a wallet that uh, contained a one three hundredth of that AI work. It was a generative art piece uh, trained on a bunch of mute portraits, and so it was called Mute Portrait Number Seven. The artist is Robbie Barrett, and uh, it was it was developed, it was generated, it was put on the blockchain, it was cut in three hundred pieces, and the cards were put in goodie bags. And uh, a bunch of them were, some of them were found, and some of them were not found. They're called the ones that were not found are called lost Robbies now, and they're trading at a quarter million dollars online. So if you if you maybe still have one, you it's 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 quite meaningful. Like I I, I have one. I'm not selling it. At least don't plan to. Wow. Uh, so the, uh, the, the, this is really early OG NFTs. 
And the people who were behind it, Art Gnome uh, and Robbie Barrett, are real pioneers in there. So we have history. And the, that history is, is really something new. So I'm excited for that future. Uh, I'm going on the side, like, I'm just going to continue making uh, generative works. I have some ideas. It's a perfect intersection between programming and art for me. Uh, I'll continue making paperworks as well. I, I run a figure drawing group now called Drawing with Russians, for example. Uh, it's very non-digital. And, uh, and I'm just going to have fun with it and see where it goes with no other purpose to make art. Do, yeah, do you like having art sort of occupy the space in your life where it's maybe more as passion outside of your day-to-day work at AWS, um, having it sort of take that new place in your life? It, it's it's the place it has always taken in my life. And artsy was special that I got to also work in the subject and in the field, of, in the domain of art. So nothing has changed. I, I've always liked art. It's, it's always been the most important thing. And I always made it. And I just, I make art because I can't do otherwise. You can't help but not. Yeah. I love that. I, I don't know what else to do. Like this is, there are days where I wake up and like, I just want to make something. I love that. All right, DB, it's been so good to talk to you. I love closing on that note. Um, yeah, something that's always really excited me about, obviously, Artsy, but you has been this true intersection of art and technology. I think that's what makes Artsy special. I think that's what makes you special. So it's definitely been a treat to catch up with you. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me and say hi to everyone at Artsy. I am totally looking forward to a happy hour as soon as something that... Uh, that can bring a lot of the artsy alumni and existing uh, employees members uh, in real life. Uh, I can't wait to uh, to meet all the new people that seem to be doing a tremendous job. I'm I'm an artsy user all the time. I buy art of artsy, and I'll I'll continue rooting for for the awesome company and team that it is. I love it. Thank you, DB. And that's a wrap on our two-part interview series with DB. I hope you enjoyed, and a special thank you to Eve Essex for the theme music in this episode. We are so grateful to DB for spending this time with us. We'll see you next time.